This is the Kitty Cat Special Report with John Jacobs. Here from New York, John Jacobs. Lulu is a gray and white beauty little girl, uh, kitty girl, and she is uh, in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Uh, And this is where we're going to uh, uh, be uh, uh, spying on our kitties and seeing what their status is. This is the Kitty Cat Status Report, after all. And uh, uh, I'm in New York, but uh, we can, uh, through technology, uh, take a peek into what the activity is. And I'm seeing that Lulu, uh, uh, as I said earlier, a gray and white, uh, short domestic short hair girl, a little house cat, right? She's a house cat. She's a home cat. And uh, she is sleeping very, very comfortably, rolled up into a beautiful little, little bunt cake kind of shaped little deal uh, with mostly gray fur, uh, dominated mostly uh, 90%, uh, 85 to 80, 80 to 85% uh, gray fur and white, uh, and white, we may need to make adjustments to that ratio. It may be about an 80, 20, 80, 80 gray uh, to 20, uh, to 20% white. Um, and nothing really in between that, but, but just subtle shades and beautiful color. Uh, well, beautiful, just, uh, just her, she's a, she's a sweet little girl. So let we're going to move on to Kane now. We have to just, uh, use conjecture with Kane because he's in the basement and we don't have any reporting or any cameras down there that can kind of check in. But, uh, my assumption would be that he is on the ironing board. Uh, in the laundry section room, uh, laundry room down there uh, in the basement, and or he is on the washing machine on top of um, a pile of uh, folded pants, uh, uh, and uh, he's probably though on the ironing board on top of a, a, a blue long sleeve blue t-shirt that is. Uh, has been his adopted shirt because he's matted it down with with cat hairs um and he's not known to be a shedder he's he's not a shedding real shedding cat that i've experienced and neither is lulu uh of course being domestic short hair um but she's not a big shedder uh, they're pretty good i gotta say maybe you know maybe there is more shedding of the animals in the summer um uh, from what we can report to you. Um, but, uh, from where I sit in New York, I think everything is pretty status quo at the Massey house in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Um, and, uh, I think we can leave the cats, uh, to their own little dreamlands. And, uh, we hope that, uh, their future endeavors can take us more on adventures. We can report a little bit more activity, but right now, it's quiet. It's just a quiet kind of uh, morning here at the uh, at the Kitty Cat News, uh, the Kitty Cat uh, Report, uh, status report. And in all that experience in advertising and graphic design at at the computer level, working uh, interfacing on the computer. Um, was a a program called Adobe Illustrator. And for those of you in the business, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, It's a very powerful design illustration program 
uh, and it it uh, it is just an elegant interface. It's very intuitive. I, the first word that should describe it is highly intuitive uh, uh, program to use, and um, and. Um, so I'm in the cloud right now, and I, I have the latest version of it. Um, I'm going to learn it more. I'm going to learn more about it uh, as I work with it on the computer. Um, I'm hoping to get some some uh, pro pro uh, 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 jobs in the future that I can sink my teeth into from a design point of view, um, and really start to learn this this new version uh so uh it's adobe illustrator and i would get on the cloud i would recommend it for you it's affordable um and um you can pick the package you want and i like what i have uh and i'm gonna i'm gonna use it i'm gonna sit down on the computer and i'm gonna use it but illustrators serve me well um in, in a world where um I would say a good majority of designers, a good hunk of designers, uh, and I would say in the majority, use uh, would use InDesign, would use in InDesign by Adobe, um, and uh, I have to confess I, I never really used it, so I wouldn't even really know. Uh, I wouldn't. I might be able to find my way around it uh, on first use, but I haven't even really given it. I may have had to go on it. Um, to uh, with a client-related activity in the past, but I I would I don't have a memory of it really time-stamped. It I, it, it it either didn't make a, a big impression on me, but I'm sure it did. I'm sure it's a very hey. I'm not dissing. First of all, anything that comes out of that company, Adobe, um, they 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 uh, they produce some of the greatest software. Um, on the, on the planet, and Illustrate is no exception. It's very intuitive, as I said, but it's also very user-friendly uh, at the same time. Um, I guess those two go hand in hand. Uh, if if it's if it's easy to use, then it's well designed, and it certainly is. Uh, I like Illustrator. I always have, and it's 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 a it's a very capable program. It's very flexible, very expandable. Uh, you can really discover new things about it uh, almost every time of use. Uh, it it uh, yet it's not overwhelming. Um, you know, uh, you've got you've got all the tools there. Everything's laid out really logically, and and it's just it it falls right into place, and it it doesn't get in the way of what you're doing typically. Uh, and I, I've got the trackpad, but I'm still used to the old-fashioned mouse. I'll probably be using the mouse forever. Um, I would like to get a tablet at some point. That would be awesome. Uh, it would be great to be able to uh, just draw directly onto the computer in that in that fashion. Um, but right now, a tablet—it's not on my radar, really, so to speak. Uh, they're, they're actually, I think they're, they're not, the pricing is not really unreasonable. Uh, some of these can be had. I would want to get it. I think I would probably want to get an eight by 10 tablet. Um, I like, I like a little bit of room when I'm working. 
Um, so Illustrator, Adobe Illustrator, of course, Adobe, Adobe Photoshop is, is, is legendary, of course. Um, but Illustrator is really my go-to. And it's really, it's really exclusively to what I do. I can do just about everything um, except, you know, the raster effects. Uh, now I, I, I don't get into too much raster when I'm working in Illustrator. It's really a vector world. But um, you can incorporate raster, of course. Um, and but you know, for raster effects, you're probably better off working in in Photoshop, um, just because you want to be right right where the right where the action is, as far as a native program that that's really uh, working to your benefit um, in that world. So, um, but. Uh, I gotta just say I, I I'm I gotta say I probably picked I picked the right thing to get into um, when I got into design because I love design I love good design I my eye gravitates uh, to uh, good design and I, I find it as I get older I'm noticing things more subtly um, if I'm watching a movie I, I kind of like I like to check out the the set uh, as as the movie dialogue uh, occurs and you know there, there's the whole action being played out I, I still like to see some of the some of the things that uh, make the movie um, try to break down the movie maybe elementally uh, when I look at a movie and then I try to force myself or maybe not force myself but I gravitate back to just enjoying the movie for for just the flow of it um, it it and and being able to uh, you know, you can then make your calls as far as uh, where you would where you would rank the movie. You know, I I, I kind of like to look at movies and I like to kind of like categorize. I like to put them into categories as I as I watch these mostly Western movies. I have to say, with my free TV, um, I I pull in two channels of note. One is Me TV, and they got a whole lineup of westerns. Um, basic lineup, I guess, is, is um, uh, it starts, I believe, with Gunsmoke um, at the noon hour or one o'clock hour, and then it's followed by Bonanza, and then I think they've got an episode of um, uh, Have Gun, Will Travel, uh, not Have Gun, Will Travel, um, uh, uh, I got to come back to the title on that one, but it's uh, Paladin, and it's played by Richard Boone. Um, and uh, then you've got uh, after that show comes on. That's a half hour. Then there's there's um, I think they play um, Rawhide. I'm going to say is next. And then I think after that they do a uh, they do a great um, uh, show that I like a lot. And that's uh, it's right after uh, and it's called uh, Wanted Dead or Alive. So you've got Rawhide that stars uh, Clint Eastwood, and in the other movie, Wanted Dead or Alive, is Steve McQueen uh, playing, uh, I think his name's Josh in that show, and he's a bounty hunter. And, you know, he's, he's sort of an anti-hero. I gotta say, he's, he's really, he works with the sheriff, he works with the law, he's on the right side of the law, as you really still had to be 
you know, the tele television code was in effect, although I don't know how it played out with Westerns. I don't think Westerns really had a... Well, they had to kind of watch out with certain uh, lifestyle aspects of, of, of the lifestyles back then, of the Wild West, because it's, I mean, the, the name Wild Wild... The Wild West really, you know, it's wild in a lot of ways. It's just, it wasn't just on the frontier. Um, it was also in the bedrooms of... Uh, you know, later on, and you know, you see Clint Eastwood starting to get in bed with women uh, right around that time, 1970, right when the the, the production code uh, ended. I, I don't know what year that ended. It was 71, probably right around there. Um, and um, so there was such great liberties back then. And of course, television saw that with the advent of of television in, in the early 70s became more. Uh, worldly, let's just put it that way, um, from the quaint subject matter of the rural comedies, which preceded it in the mid-60s. We were a little, definitely more buttoned up in 65 than we were in 69, for instance. Um, even 67, our attitudes were starting to change. Uh, you could see it reflected through just our popular culture um, and through, you know, our, our, what, 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 what our norms were, you could see it. And the only reason, the only way you can really see it is to go back in time with some of these uh, television shows. There, there's some notable ones, you know. Um, but I would, you know, I'd say if you want to go into a little romp back in time with a couple of these kind of quaint, uh, I'm going to still call them quaint. I mean, even, even the sweeping westerns have a, well, I, no, I don't want to say that. That's, that's not true. The Sweeping Westerns are, are wonderful uh, in their scope and in, in their uh, production value. Um, and, and I've seen a lot of pretty good Westerns. I don't, I don't even really know if there's any such thing as a bad Western. I, I don't know. I, I, I've yet to see it. If you can report to me what a real bad Western was, is that we've had. Because I think the... Uh, the people involved, the creative people that put together these shows and movies uh, depicting the old West, they, they, they come at it with a certain sensitivity and even a hypersensitivity. Uh, the hyper aspect of today's culture, which has been in flux throughout time, because I think we went through hyper periods in the past, recent. Um, and But in this paradigm where we're at now, you know, uh, it's it's a it's a it's a relatively fast fast edited, fast paced, frenetic world, um, and the the western can capture that. The western can capture a lot of that. So the reality. So I find a lot of these westerns just to have a reality aspect to them, um, and uh, regardless of the production value in a sense. And I I've yet really I I have yet to see a cheesy western. The approach is always a, a real earnest approach to the Western. And comedy is always put in, in in the best of our movies, isn't it? Comic relief, even in our most serious, ardent films uh, that we've experienced. Um, and I can name so many. Uh, there's always been that real comic relief. Um, you know, was Jaws a serious movie? Of course it was. It was a horror movie. They really called it, they called it, they classified it as horror. It's, uh, it's a shark that's in the water, and we all know what happens. Uh, 
to the girl at the beginning, you know, the, she's at her beach party. It's an idyllic, you know, it's that it's that uh, campfire on the beachside with the with the teen buddies and friends, you know, all uh, having a great time with their cars and parked off to the side, you know, in the in the in, off to the to the side of the reeds. And so you've got uh, you've got a real, real wholesome, wholesome scene. And, you know, of course, what is it? It's dusk. I'm, I'm sorry. It's it's yes, yeah, dusk. It's late day. These they're 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 reveling. They're 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 having their hot dogs on the, the but they, you know they've got they've got alcohol and they're drinking and she's she's definitely drinking. I believe the first scene opens when she's stumbling into the water uh, in a t- in a total dizzy spell, and it was it played out and everybody could relate to to that young woman because she was sort of the everyman right there. You know, the, we've all had experiences of being at parties, at least our partying nature. Um, I've had some pretty uh, drunken experiences, but I wouldn't call myself any any stretch of the world a, a drunk. But I was at these events, uh, at these parties that, that you know you were so you were supposed to be smashed. Um, and but you know, few and far between. I, I really didn't go to a lot of house parties back then, and there were a lot of them. We were always getting called to a house party, and and I wouldn't go sometimes, but a lot of times I did go. I, I take that back. I did go to my share of keg parties, and we had that kind of uh, idyllic setup one a couple of times over at the beach, uh, where you had the sunset as the uh, as the as the, as the fires going, you know that that beautiful photographic light of the fire against the dark uh, cobalty kind of uh, uh, evening early evening onset sky uh, as the surf uh, uh, goes uh, is happening in the background you know so you got all those elements or the real real great elements and the great great opening to a film um, uh, it sets the, the movie right up it, it gets right to the point there's no fucking around really um, it, it, right out of the gate uh, there is action in the movie and you know that's what all the best movies are you know that's really where all the best movies are Psycho the movie Psycho um, from the early 60s came out just at the advent of the, uh, the 60s generation and it took a, a different whole new approach uh, from a seasoned director remember Hitchcock had already directed scores of films in, in England and some of those can be seen on you know channels today you can you can YouTube uh, the earliest of, of, of Hitch's movies but uh, the ones that we are remember the, the American made ones you know uh, the one, ones like North by Northwest and, uh, and and Psycho like those and so Psycho opens up with a different arc, you know, there's a different story arc to that movie, and that that unveils the the horror of the movie. Uh, we all know where that happens in the movie specifically, but there's a there's a definite uh, build up to that scene. The tension, the music, everything uh, is, is 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 sort of a pent up uh, aspect that's uh, that's occurring. You know something ominous is going to happen. 
at the opening of that movie, but it doesn't really hit you. Whereas Jaws, um, right away, right out of the gate, um, within the first few fam- frames of the movie, we see the antagonist uh, in the form of a great white shark. And uh, we uh, see the aftermath of that and the repercussions and what happens and the characters that come into that movie. It's a great, it's a great American movie. It's set in New England, you know, it's, it's, you can't get any much more American in that vein of, uh, uh, you know, a New England beach on a beautiful summer, summer season. Uh, you know, the mayor wants to bring everybody to the, to the town to spend money there. And uh, he does everything to, you know, kind of, he gets in the way of the progress of, he stalls, well, he doesn't, actually actually stall anything but he is definitely a, um, a, uh, a he's, he's definitely wants to um, you know kind of brush everything under the rug and and that's that's not going to happen in Sher- in sheriff Brody's uh, uh, world he is going to get to the bottom of it and it's it's whatever whatever it leads to. He has to solve the problem. He, after all, he got slapped by the mom whose child died uh, in the water from, from the shark in the movie. Um, so he, he, has, he has to do something. He's morally obligated. He's morally obligated. And he goes through a little bit of a... Um, it wasn't really much of a denial, but it's at the dinner table where uh, uh, the Richard Dreyfus character... Um, brings wine, and and they have a little wine, and they um, start planning out what they were gonna what they're gonna do. It's it's a pivotal scene in the movie, as are a lot of the pivotal a lot of pivotal scenes. Another pivotal scene, of course, is when Quint uh, joins it at the meeting of uh, of what to do and how they're gonna coordinate. And he um, scratches on the board, the blackboard scratch. That's a very popular scene. The slap by the woman, that's another popular scene in the movie. My sister Renee loves this movie. It's probably her favorite movie. Uh, That and Sting, um, The Sting, from around the same time, uh, a little earlier. I think The Sting came out in 73, and uh, Jaws was, of course, 75. But uh, Brody, we like Brody. He's the every sheriff. He's the every man, right? Um, and he's dumped upon. I mean, he's got a lot of responsibilities. Um, I like the scene with the license plates at the beginning of the movie, uh, sort of the beginning where the cars are coming in from all over, and they mention this. They mention our little state of Rhode Island in the movie, and I always, I always thought that was kind of cool, um, you know. But. Uh, there are so many great scenes in that movie. The, the, the bobbing head in down under the waterline uh, when uh, Richard Dreyfuss uh, flashes his, puts his flashlight on it. It just uh, comes out out of nowhere uh, and scares the living bejeegas out of you. Um, I know it did when I first saw that movie. And, you know, uh, it, it, it holds up. It, it holds up as a movie. It's, uh, it's just, you know, you, every shot is, is figured out. You're not going to really question anything in, about that movie. 
um, and it plays out well. The boat scene, you know, we got to get a bigger boat. That's a great line. Um, uh, probably Renee's favorite line in the, the whole movie. Um, uh, and so it's funny. It's poignant. It's right to the plot line. It, uh, yeah. And, and when they're underneath, uh, inside the boat uh, that night, uh, talking and telling stories and comparing um, uh, tattoos and such, uh, those kind of things. Uh, it was funny scenes. Um, uh, kind of buddy, warm-hearted movie. It's it's, it's good bonding movie. There's definitely bonds made on that boat. Uh, at the end, of course, we have certain uh, things play out. That, that uh, I, you know, uh, I'm not going to even spoil the movie at this point. But we we all we all kind of know what happens, right? So uh, Jaws, just a great classic movie and it's funny I started talking about Jaws because it's one of those subjects that you can really do it you can just do a bona fide segment and I guess I just did sort of a segment on it well I definitely did a segment this is a 21 minute sub segment of my main segment of uh, this show and uh, so and so I've definitely been talking but and the majority of that has been on the movie Jaws um so these are great things and I, I'm glad that I can relate these things and I'm glad I can kind of like come up with them and just talk about them and find out, wow, this is a whole world. You know, this is a whole world to talk about. I, you could do an entire show on, on recollection, recollections of not just Jaws, but you could incorporate it into other great movies that you remember seeing as a kid going to, to see for the first time. You can almost remember the car ride over. I remember the, the sun was was in on the left side of the car as we drove uh, to Lincoln, where we saw the movie. And uh, coming from Pawtucket as a family, it was 1975. I was 15, and I remember the sunset was setting. We went to the later show, and the sun was beginning to set. It was lower in the sky. It was a beautiful amber kind of color. I remember that as clear as it was happening yesterday. And this was all to go to see uh, American movie Jaws. Your American movie Jaws. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, one of the great moments in movie history for me uh, up there with with some other great movies. You know, like I could compare it to years earlier, uh, 10 years earlier, actually. uh, Something about these fifth years of the decade uh, in 65 came out the sound of music and that changed my whole perspective on life really uh i came out of that really changed i think you know we and we were able to see re-releases of the movie later on uh and uh and it was great to see it you know it was really before television got a real grab hold of those kind of properties uh, we could still see the re-release and I think Sound of Music came out with a, a re-release in 1968 I can almost I can almost be 100% sure that they did uh, did a re-release in 68 or it would have been those later years of 68 just when you were getting uh, when, the, when the world was pent up again for more Sound of Music it came out again in a re- re-release 
And I think it did a re-re-re-release or a re-release. <laughs> and, um, and down the line, I remember one of the movie theaters in the Providence area, we would drive by regularly. I don't know why we were always going by it, but um, in, you know, we'd notice that the, uh, the movie Oliver was playing at that movie house for months, uh, like it was a long-running play there. And it was a movie, and it's a great, wonderful, musical movie that I think still holds up stylistically today. It's just one of the great musical movies of all time. If you ever have never seen Oliver, you've got to see it from 1968. Uh, I was eight years old when that movie came out, and it made another indelible mark, uh, really. It made another great impression musically for me. Um, as did, you know, I was lucky to be a kid growing up at the tail end of these great legacy music, musical, blockbuster musical, um, movie musicals, really, you know, and, and they were all great in their own right, you know, and um, so musicals caught the tail end of that. I'm glad I did. Um, and... I'm able to look back at them now, you know, and the ones earlier than that from the 50s, which I don't remember because I wasn't born yet. Um, but certainly, you know, My Fair Lady, uh, Mary Poppins, of course, um, and The Sound of Music, um, all great legacy musicals that uh, live, in, live in our hearts today. I dig Illustrator, and I always have. I can pretty much say that um, almost since day one uh, with my involvement with um, graphic design on computer. You know, I mean, uh, let's face it, I'm 61, so I know the time uh, where I would uh, would have been doing paste up, you know, in my, let's say, uh, early 20s. Um, and uh, up till probably... You know, I would say in 1985 uh, would be the introduction of our first computer at Chaffee Bedard, uh, the ad agency I worked in, worked at, um, and me being all of 25 years old. Uh, and uh, so, uh, but uh, an art director, Ken Boostrom, uh, brought in uh, a, the first Mac. He introduced us to the Macintosh. So that's where we're going with, uh, you know, I, I saw the, the introduction of the, of the Mac um, in the Providence ad, ad scene uh, on that day uh, in, I believe it probably would have been 84, uh, 85. The introduction of the Mac, Ken was, a, was what you would call an early adopter, uh, bought the machine. I don't know if he paid for it. Uh, the agency probably just paid for it. Uh, let's go back to 1985 just for a second. Um, uh, lots of things were happening uh, technologically. Uh, the advent of the of the personal computer, you know, the graphic user interface, uh, that whole advent. The the uh, guys working in their garages, the pioneers of today's modern computing. Um, it's seen since many generations afterwards. Uh, you know, we're going into now G5, uh, or 5G service, I should say, um, generation five. 
in in most markets, um, and uh, we're you know going to see that unveil itself uh, before us uh, over the next uh, you know I would say a couple of years. That's going to probably play out um, before we're all on board, I guess. Um, what are the new frontiers uh, ahead? It's kind of a more optimistic view that I I adopt uh, than I would have said that I would have adopted, let's say, in the early 2000s. There are still a lot of questions I had in my life uh, back then, a lot of a lot of sort of unanswered kind of quests and journeys. I had financial challenges uh, all throughout those years, freelancing, graphic design um, at the start of 2000, basically. Uh, you know uh, that basically hearkened uh, the, the the millennia, the millennia, the new millennium, hearkened in uh, on 2001, and uh, and it was a real introduction, and it was sort of a real. Uh, you could put a timestamp right there. Uh, because that's sort of the beginning of the beginning. Because it was a really, it was a good adventure overall. You know, if I look back at it, freelancing, graphic design, working for my own, being a self, uh, self-employed, uh, uh, private, you know, self-employed contractor, uh, essentially. Um, and uh, I ran into the error, and I don't, I don't wish it upon any freelancer to depend on one client so much that um, if you lose that client you know it's it's basically the end of your your uh, your working world for at least a while because what you don't do is you run into that trap and I ran into it and I kind of purposely ran into it because I was lazy I didn't want to foster new new business I didn't want to work on another client besides the client I had and have extra commitments um, I, I I wasn't a partier uh, per se, but I, you know, I, I had, I had uh, a little bit of a laziness streak about me. Um, I may have come off as being more uh, actively involved, which I was, because if it, if it came down to brass tacks and I was working with the client and my consultant that I worked with when I was up in New Hampshire, which was a good portion of my. Um, uh, time up there, the eight or nine years I spent up there, uh, I think it was almost just about nine years uh, up, I lived up in, in the Portsmouth, New Hampshire area. And so freelancing took up about half of that time, uh, essentially, maybe not quite. Uh, most of that time I was employed by a company, uh, any given company in the Portsmouth area. I think I worked for uh, two, at least two bona fide uh, ad agency uh, slash design uh, slash PR uh, companies. Um, uh, Sierra Knowles certainly had a PR division. Uh, they were always working with the client relations um, and, uh, you know, the out, the out, well, not so much the outreach, but the ad message was still kind of important, the ad, the ad stamp. The ad presence of an ad agency is the crux of the business, should be the advertising, or at least the focus, most of the focus. But you know, the focus, the, the spillover effect occurs when you when you are, become a full service ad agency that would be entailing uh, advertising in, in its forms of media uh, 
you know, direct mail, from direct mail all the way to broadcast media, uh, to social media, to print, to collateral. Uh, well, I'm sorry, to print advertising. And then when you, when you cross over into graphic design services of an ad agency, which a three-pronged ad agency should have, uh, advertising, design, uh, and marketing. Uh, advertising, design, marketing could actually be put into one uh, classification. And then PR is, is, is a tail-end effect to a lot of... Uh, is it an afterthought? It might be an afterthought to those um, companies, uh, those valid uh, graphic design advertising companies that want to put the focus on the creative, which I always gravitated to those places. Um, I, I'm lucky to look back at a career that I wouldn't say was, you know, maybe the most rewarding. I didn't work for, I, I worked for tier two agencies. Uh, I would consider Chaffee Bedard though a tier one. Actually, I, I would consider all the ad agencies I worked at tier one because we always strive to have at least a modicum of creative uh, from, 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 uh, from where I worked in Providence to the places I worked in Portsmouth to, to uh, the place that I worked at, 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 at uh, in Boston, and and uh, my experiences in New York and and in Stanford, uh, working for uh, directly for a client there, uh, we were installed there uh, at their facility, um, and uh, working in 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 um, Glastonbury, Connecticut, where we our company. Our contracting company was uh, was based so in a gold glass building um, that you can see right off off the highway there. Um, but in any event, um, graphic design has been really a, 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 a integral part of of uh, my involvement at the ad agency because as an art director. Um, and as a graphic designer or art director, mechanical artist, they were called back, we were called back in the day, pre-1985 uh, advent. Uh, computers then took hold and took root in the early 90s in ad agencies because the equipment uh, needed to be uh, a larger display was needed and the investment was expensive back then. Uh, and it was black and white uh, monitors that you looked in at, at, at that was you know CRT screen uh, but black and white grayscale you know um, and doable uh, you could definitely lay out an ad you know black and white ads notwithstanding you could do color ads but you know because you weren't it wasn't being represented in color and if you wanted color output you'd still have to s send it up on a disc and get that disc over to uh, a, an output facility in the city and they would, uh, you know, you'd wait just for that to be processed because if they were still using uh, uh, old, well, they were still using uh, photographic techniques, uh, well, fo total photographic process uh, for you to get your proof. Uh, you wanted your proof, you needed to see your proof. Uh, you had your black and white uh, printer that you could proof, but you needed a color proof from the printer. And it was a little back and forth. You know, sometimes the color wasn't quite right back then. Color adjustments had to be made with film. You know, you had to bias, you had to take back the magenta a little bit, maybe. 
it was always a percentage uh, battle between the saturation or the density of the of what you were working with. You had to be concerned with density, how how heavy that ink was going to be printed on the page. Of course, you still have to be concerned with density um, issues. You don't want to oversaturate. Uh, you want to uh, you want to uh, be part of the, the production flow. You don't want to be a hindrance to it. Uh, not just that, you, it's not proper to, uh, you don't need to uh, use more ink than you need to use. It's just, it's just not, and that's the glory of, of graphic design. It's always a balancing act, and I always approach my job uh, as problem solving. I like to solve problems for, co for, company, for uh, the companies I work for. Any, any of the ad agencies I work for. The, the, you know, it's really, it's, it's, it's really the approach too. It's the approach. It's how you look at it. I come at it from a, a creative point of view. I think it was always served me well as an impetus uh, in my thoughts processes today, doing these Talk Me Some Art and Other Stories podcasts. Um, uh, it's, it's taught me a little bit of creative discipline uh, there's definitely a discipline involved with podcasting, as would be a discipline involved with the applied arts, graphic design, photography, um, printmaking, um, you know, uh, those arts that are uh, commercial in nature. Um, I, I did have a commercial bent, uh, poster design notwithstanding, because I think with posters, you're, you're, you've got a little more latitude to create and be creative. Um, even on the most, uh, you know, even where you have to really get a lot of information, you can do it very well with, with tasteful use of, of typography, for instance, or bold, you know, if you want to go a bold route. Um, take a step back before your project. Try to, try to get uh, into the mode of where, where your project's coming from. What's your audience? You know, what's the audience? What's the intended audience? That might should, that should be at least the second question, um, which I guess I've made it here in this format. Uh, yeah, the second question is, uh, who are you talking to? You know, when the Grateful Dead played, it was really more about the audience and, and, and their reactions, and it's so much part of the whole uh, Grateful Dead concert, live concert experience, at least. Um, they could never duplicate that that aspect in their in their studio recordings. Uh, thankfully, they had some live studio recordings. Uh, you, there's there's the uh, Grateful Dead uh, live, um, and that's just a stellar uh, recording or production technique. Uh, it's some of the most cleanest concert uh, audio that you'll ever come across uh, on a on a record. Um, bar none. In fact, I'm going to probably maybe try to give a listen to it this week, um, uh, just just to just to revisit it because it's um it's a real gem. I think it's from 1971. Uh, I'm going to say it's from 1971. I'm sorry, 1981, I believe, was when they came out with the live, the Grateful Dead live album. Dead Set, Dead Set was 1981. Uh, I have to correct myself. Uh, uh, that was uh, something I want to definitely check out on YouTube. But uh, the Live Dead or Dead Live, Live Dead, Live Dead 
is uh, what that album, I believe, is entitled 1969. So I was off a couple of years when I originally said 1971. But 69 um, was the Live Dead. Awesome. And uh, you should check it out on YouTube or uh, if you have it, you should check it out again, revisit it. It's worth a listen. For those new to this uh, podcast, talk me some art and other stories. Uh, you may have just landed on this uh, uh, last episode of the show, um, and uh, which is great. Uh, but if you want to review uh, any ones earlier than that, um, you can do so.
going to be able to sustain it for a number of a period, uh, a long, for a good, good, good amount of time. And I want to just thank you for listening to my review of shows of uh, the past uh, two months here at Talk Me Some Art and Other Stories. Hi, this is Buckles Brannigan, and I want to welcome you to this segment where we talk about Brannigan X. Brannigan X is a great line of cigars that you can find at your finer tobacconist. And uh, it features the Panatella and the Robusto and the Churchill. And let me talk about the Churchill. It's a satisfying smoke. It's a full smoke. It belies its modest size. It's a... a very, very smokable smoke. Um, might be the most satisfying smoke you've ever had. And you can find them right there on the shelves in the humidors at your select your select stores. Uh, just uh, go on to BradyGanX.com and uh, go up at the top there for uh, store locations and you're going to find Many, very, many very great participants in our great quest for the great American cigar. It really is a true American treasure. The Brannigan X is a sleek, beautifully wrapped, beautifully crafted, uh, handcrafted, of course, uh, 100% great, top quality Honduran blend tobacco leaves. And uh, also the great Connecticut shade wrapper is featured on our product line exclusively. So, to know what you're getting in a Brannigan X, just get ready for a good continuous smoke. We recommend you smoke it through, but if you want to put it out, it doesn't load up as like other cigars. It's, you're going to find it's a very, very repeatable cigar. You might get a few smokes out of this one before it starts tasting a little nasty. And that's not, never going to happen uh, unless it gets to the bitter end, you know. I tell you, it was really great to be able to go to a little bit of a smoker that we had. Uh, we uh, had a great dinner, and then we went into a back room, uh, and it was in, uh, in uh, Carlsbad, California. And uh, we all were gathered there for one straight purpose, that was to try out the new Brannigan X, which was unveiling in California and the West Coast. Did a little later rollout for that brand. Uh, and now we're nationwide. We've got, uh, we've got some great stores in the lineup. You're gonna find out when you go online, when you go out and check our website. Go out and check our other interactive features that we put in and some fun stuff with me, Buckles Brannigan. Uh, doing my usual best to uh, whoop up the character that I played in my 1957 series, uh, Buckles Brannigan. And uh, the producers didn't want to name it that. We settled on that name. It was going to be called South Fork. Uh, we decided we're just going to keep Buckles Brannigan, have some star appeal, craft craft my name out there, get it out, you know, uh, let people know who the star was, even though you knew right away from frame one 
who the star was, even though in some of the episodes I didn't come in until a couple scenes later. Well, kind of like, just like one of those movies where you wonder where the star is, when the star is going to come in. Gee, the movie's almost over and the star hasn't even showed up. Some stars of movies don't come in until, oh, fourth, third, fourth, fifth act. It's just amazing how they can hold you. And that's part of the, uh, that's part of the appeal as you watch these great movies. And you see, you see what these directors kind of, you try to get into their minds, don't you? I do. I try to always get into the mind of the director. Uh, I usually do when I watch something or, or viewing, viewing a movie. A great, great epic, you know. You can see where the work went into. Of course, the director is not just the director. It's the, it's the people that are behind the, the camera, uh, the crew, the technicians, right down to, to, you know, the lowliest position that you could have. They, they all contribute to the end result. That's why credits on movies these days are about 20 miles long. Uh, it's almost another movie within a movie. But uh, you wonder the size of these, of these, of the staff that they have to employ for these productions is just, just incredible. But my cigars are fine quality. You're going to enjoy every bit of it. And that's all I want to say. I just wanted to leave you with that message on Brannigan X Cigars. Find them near you at finer tobacco stores near you.